Welcome, this is Susan Parker with ELR Legal Search. Today's episode of ELR Presents is with Suzanne Thomas, Denton's Canada's Director of Talent and Learning. I'm really excited about this guest. I met Suzanne at PDC Conference, the Professional Development Consortium Conference in Denver this summer, and we just hit it off. And today she's going to talk to us about emotional intelligence and how it impacts your career. And this really aligns with many of the things and we're going to be talking about with other guests. But before I introduce Suzanne, let me give you a little bit about who she is. As I said, she's with Denton and she's living in Edmonton, Canada. She's Canadian, so we're very excited about that as well. And I'm just excited to get her perspective on EQ and how it impacts her career. And frankly, it really helps with not just our career, but all of our relationships. But before we get into it, Suzanne leads the firm's learning and development team. She worked closely with lawyers, leadership, and business services teams to deliver the programming for all firm members with a focus on the capabilities professionals need to be successful in the law firm of the future. She's worked in law firm talent management and professional development since 2011. She's experienced in the design and execution of recruitment campaigns, the development and oversight of mentorship programs, and the creation and delivery of internal professional development initiatives. Prior to this, Suzanne practiced in Alberta for over 10 years. Suzanne is also certified to administer the Mayor Salovey Caruso Emotional Intelligent Test, which I'm really looking forward to hearing about because I know nothing of this, the MSCEIT, and to deliver emotional intelligence training and coaching. Welcome, Suzanne. Great to see you again. I so enjoyed meeting you in Denver in July, and I'm really excited about having you here today. Oh, I'm super excited to be here as well. And it was great to meet you in Denver. It was nice to be able to see people in person again. No kidding. No kidding. Listen, before we get started, tell me more about your role at Denton's Canada. Sure. So I joined Denton's about four years ago. And at first, my role focused on pretty typical talent management for our lawyer population in two of our Canadian offices. So recruitment, performance reviews, compensation, and those sorts of things. Recently, I've moved into a new role that is focused solely on learning and development. And so my portfolio covers all non-practice specific learning for all of our Canadian firm members. So everything from foundational skills like time management to advanced topics in leadership development, for, again, for our entire population. So for me, it's been a great change. I'm really, really passionate about learning and development. Um, I think back to the old days, aka when I was a junior lawyer. And, and people were expected to go away and figure things out on their own. That's what learning development was all about. And I look at that and I go, that's just such an inefficient way to learn. And not to mention, it's also a really inefficient way of, of getting things done. I mean, clients don't want to pay for junior lawyers to learn on their dime. Exactly. And learning in an environment where you feel nervous or you, because you're out on your own is difficult. And it's really like, as you said, it's just not efficient. Yeah, and, and there's also so much more to learn now. I mean, technology's exploded in the last 20 years, and even the law has expanded into all kinds of new areas that didn't exist you know, 20 years ago. And so firms have to be strategic about the training and, and the upskilling of their people. Learning by osmosis and, and you know, learning on the job is just not going to be good enough. You're not going to get that, that great experience, both for your lawyers and for the clients. And so for myself, I'm super excited about the possibilities because I, I think it's not just that technical training, but also 
really expanding our training in areas like resilience and emotional intelligence. Absolutely. We're seeing that more and more. So why the interest in EQ or emotional intelligence? What kind of brought you into really the clarity of seeing how that impacts almost everything? Uh, so my first degree is in psychology, and I've always been fascinated by people, what makes people tick, how to motivate people, what inspires people to do their best, the background that I come to it from. But then looking at EQ more specifically, it all started when I went to a law firm leadership conference about 10 years ago. So really early days in my talent career. And at that conference, one of the presenters was Dr. Larry Richard. And in the context of his presentation, he talked about the typical lawyer personality and some of the reasons why we do the things that we do. That's fantastic because I've had the same eye-opening experience when I saw Larry at a conference as well. And he's also one of our guests here on the podcast. So this really folds in nicely with the topic. And it's really great to see you putting in action the things that Larry talks about. So tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, it was such an eye-opening experience. And I walked away sort of thinking to myself, wow, like I wish I would have known this when I first started out in my career, because if somebody would have taken me aside and told me what he said in the context of that presentation, it just would have made such a difference to me, both professionally and, and personally. And to paraphrase a bit, basically what it was is that the concept is that since lawyers score low in resilience, which makes us a bit more self-protective and, and a bit more sensitive, and we also score really high in autonomy, which means we don't like being told what to do or, or being criticized, our automatic default is to react as a very thin-skinned person and to immediately discount everything that anyone has to say. And, and even for worse, we're probably going to get into an argument about it because we're going to want to prove that we're right and they're wrong. And it doesn't help in... in... That's your job. I <laughs> well, <and> right? <laughs> as a, a lawyer starting out in your career, like 95% of the people you're dealing with are other lawyers, right? So they're going to say something, you're going to get heated up, they're going to get heated up, it's going to turn into this like huge big argument. And you add to that the fact that the critiques are probably not coming to you in the most constructive way. And it's just this, this huge recipe for disaster. And so when Larry said that, said that like the instinctive go to is that you're going to react as a thin skinned lawyer, this huge light bulb went off in my head. And it was like, I'd wasted so many years of my life just getting all worked up and arguing with people instead of taking a step yeah. back and saying, well, you know, just like really listening to what they had to say. And, and why was that happening? Because I lacked awareness of my emotions and I was letting that instinctive personality characteristic that I had, which is great for practicing law, but the things about your character is like wherever you go, there they are. So it doesn't matter. Like that skill set is great when you're a lawyer, but it's not great when you're talking to another human. Right, so right. it just like it really changed the way that I viewed things. And from that point forward, if somebody challenged one of my ideas or pushed back on, on something that I had to say, and I felt myself getting worked up, I would just right away slow myself down and say, okay, think to myself, was I just instinctively being a thin skinned lawyer? Was I reacting to the other person's tone and not the substance of their comments? Could I maybe, maybe be wrong? Maybe. <laughs> It really was a huge turning point. Yeah. It just changed the way that I interacted with a population that tends to be a little bit more, a little lower in sociability, for lack of a better description, and might not necessarily think about what they were, what they're saying, and how it lands with the person that they're talking to. 
Okay, but you know what I love about what you just said is that you actually applied it. Think about how much this could help all of us in our relationships at work, outside of work. If I could apply this more often and take that step back and kind of move from that critical to being curious and understanding more, asking more questions, right? That is so hard to do, but if you do it, the payoff is big. It's big. Oh, a hundred percent. And you, you want to know how to diffuse an argument with any lawyer. It's exactly that. It's to be curious and to ask them their opinion. To say to a lawyer, wow, that's an interesting angle. I hadn't really thought about that. Can you tell me a little bit more about your perspective on this? Because they're coming to the table ready to fight with you too, because they're like, oh, I don't agree with that at all. Right. And you're like, cool, tell me why. And they're like, oh, oh. the other thing too, that's always a lot of fun is that if you are then, if you've shifted your mindset to listening for content, chances are pretty good you're going to be able to pick something out of what they say and go, oh, I agree with that. So what about this? And it just like changes the whole landscape. It's ridiculous that just the smallest of tweaks in terms of how you listen and how you engage can not just defuse the argument, but also get you to a place where you're prepared to learn and to grow and to develop and to acknowledge other perspectives. It's, it's life-changing. It's a game changer. It is huge mm-hmm. takeaway, like one presentation at one conference that then I've been able to leverage both in my professional and personal life in terms of how I deal with other people. Which is amazing. And I love that. You know, I wish more people, myself included, could practice it as much as I would like. But here's the thing, often emotions get in the way. So I'll be upset or I'm hurt or I'm frustrated and I'm not stepping back. You know, I'm not taking that time to step back. And I think that's key, right? Don't you think just having sort of breathing moments so that you can really start thinking about the questions and the curiosity that you have? Absolutely, and it's exactly that. It's pausing and taking a breath, right? One thing that I think we can all work on is listening to actually listen, digest and absorb rather than listening to respond. 100%. That's another huge one. And Huge. Yeah. And because it worked and there was way less conflict in my interactions at work and way better results, it got me thinking. So if this one change was so impactful, what if we actually spent some time teaching all of our lawyers and all of the people around us just some key concepts around emotional intelligence? That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And I'm sure you're hearing great feedback on just people making little tweaks in behavior, right? I always tell people there's really nothing that's life changing in the sense of I'm here to teach you some knowledge and you're going to go out and change the world or you're going to teach me. But it's little nuggets that when applied, it's almost like that little bit that pushes that racer that's in the Olympics from sixth place to third place from third place to first place in the gold medal, right? It's little behaviors done consistently is when you get the the results, right? Just like exercise. You're exactly right. And I think what's really interesting about that, when you look at professional populations, when you look at lawyers, you look at accountants, you look at people who are successful in business, these are people who are already, you know, the analogy of the Olympic athlete. I mean, these are people who are performing at their peak. They're at the top of their game. And it is true that the smallest of changes are the things that move you from the sixth place finish to the gold, silver, or bronze medal. So it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot. You're dealing with a population that's already operating at a pretty high level. So, right. and I think that's an excellent way to, to really explain it to people. We're talking about tweaks. 
there are great things about your lawyer personality and we want you to continue to use those things. And these one or two tiny tweaks will make you even better. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's a win-win. So give me your definition of emotional intelligence. I'd like to hear how you define it. For me at its simplest, and if you want to sum it up in a sentence, emotional intelligence is the capacity to reason about emotions and then to use them to enhance your thinking and your decision-making. There's four interrelated quadrants. Two belong to you, so there's self-awareness and and self-management, and then two are external-facing social awareness and relationship management. And they kind of split up into what you know, so the awareness piece of it, and then what you do, which is the management piece of it. It is a skill you can learn. I know a lot of people think, oh, you know, you either have it or you don't, you're good at it or you're not. Mm -hmm. I think everybody feels that way. Don't they mostly think that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They call it soft skills. And I'm like, it's not soft skills, right? And I get it. Lawyers in particular, but tons of people hate in the business context, talking about emotions and feelings. They don't like that, right? And so the way I explain it to people is by telling them that, Essentially, emotions contain data, and all data helps to inform decision-making. That's it. That's so good. Anytime you ignore data, logically, it's going to lead to suboptimal decision-making. That just is what it is, right? And so if you take out the whole touchy-feely piece to it, even though I do think it is important, again, with my interest in emotional intelligence, I think emotions and feelings are important. But if you want to, to really spread it to a population that may not necessarily be as inclined and excited about it as I am, you know, just tell them their data points. I wish we would have had this conversation like five years ago. Thank you so much because I have been dealing with lawyers and engineers and physicians, different groups and consulting who I wish I had. First of all, your easy one sentence is phenomenal. And then this idea that, Hey, you're ignoring data. What? <laughs> right? They would be like, what? <laughs> Susan, you're the one that's talking about feelings. I'm the one talking about numbers. No, but data comes in many forms, qualitative absolutely, and quantitative. Yeah, yeah. You need to get yourself to a place where you're not letting emotions take the lead. Because, of course, that equals bad results too, right? But it's acknowledging when you've got that little feeling in your, your gut mm-hmm. or when something is just not sitting right with mm-hmm. you or you're feeling uncomfortable with something to just pause and say, okay, well, why? Why is all of that going on right now? And there can be a variety of reasons for it, but you have to acknowledge that because there are times where if you ignore that little voice or if you ignore something that's sort of sitting at the back of your head, you may not end up making the best decision. Something to consider. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Not to be ignored. Not to be ignored. (laughs) Right. I love it. And it's data. So what are some of the common mistakes that you see associates make in regards to to, to emotional intelligence or, or other things that you see when they join a new firm? Obviously, as a recruiter, I'm, I'm always thinking about, you know, when we help people lateral to another firm, how do we help them be successful? And I think it starts in the recruitment process, then it continues in law firms. And it's also part of the responsibility of those associates and partners who do lateral. What are some of the common mistakes that you see folks make when they do make that change? So sticking with the theme of emotional intelligence for now, I think that the 
biggest collection of missteps that we see with associates and partners who lateral into a firm in the early days is just that lack of self-awareness. You know, you just want to mm-hmm. take people aside sometimes and just say, look, read the room, read the room. <laughs> yeah. I know that people will come and they want to put their best foot forward and they're keen to impress in a new job. And I get all of that. But if that is what's driving you, it can lead to some pretty poor behavior in the context of the firm and the context of those early days where you should be focused on building relationships, right? So showing off your knowledge. I mean, if I hired you to come work at the firm, it's because I think you have the knowledge base that I need. You don't have to walk around spouting case law and talking down to people because I've already decided you've got that. Mm-hmm. Being condescending, not valuing every single member of the team, right? right? Law firms don't operate unless you've got amazing knowledge management people, unless you've got amazing receptionists, amazing legal assistants, and they all know their job 10 times better than you ever will. And you can't do your job unless they do theirs. Such a great point. So you being a jerk to those people because you think you're better than them is just completely sets the wrong tone, right? Right, right. Reflects poorly on them. Exactly. And, you know, not asking questions and making assumptions, right? Just diving right in without getting to know what the place is like and what the landscape is like. Those are all things right out the gate that can cause people to stumble in a very critical stage. I mean, I know they want to make a good impression, but sometimes people tend to get in their own way. Yeah, for sure. We see that in the recruiting process too, or when they're interviewing, right? They're great, but they're so maybe eager to impress in ways that come off not the intended way. What does your firm do to help people engage and be able to integrate into the firm successfully and better awareness? What are some of the things that your firm does? Some of the big things that we do, we make sure that new associates in particular get assigned a mentor right away. So that person will be in their particular area of practice and will be a consistent point of contact for them. Those tend to be a bit more senior. So we also assign our associates a buddy, somebody who's a a peer who they can go and ask the questions about, you know, the timekeeping software or where do we keep the paper and what's the best kind of pen, all of that sort of stuff. So we make sure that they have both. We pick our buddies pretty carefully. We actually ask people to volunteer. Nice. (laughs) It's not voluntold. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And we make sure that they're getting together regularly, going out for coffee, just trying to ease that transition. We were really, really conscientious about those pairings over the course of the pandemic because we did onboard some people at a period in time where we were all working fully remotely. So making sure that even though we weren't getting together in person in the office, that they had somebody who would have a standing Zoom call with them every couple of days just to check in and you know, even make sure they had the equipment they needed at home and did they need a wireless mm-hmm. keyboard, all of that sort of stuff. As a new person in the office, you don't know who to ask, but when you're working at home, you 100% don't know who to ask. And so making sure that they've got touch points. And there's always the formal touch points too with the talent team and the talent people on the ground are checking in to make sure that things are proceeding the way that they should, but really having those, those peers as points of connection as well is really important and a big differentiator when we look at onboarding and integrating people. Oh, yeah. As a firm, I mean, the other thing too is to keep that going for at least three to six months, just those regular check-ins. And then over that time, people will build some organic connections, especially if they're out there. You know, I encourage new people when they join us. I'm like, if you get asked to go to an event, if it works with your schedule, go to the event. If someone walks by your office and says, hey, 
five of us are going out for lunch. Do you want to come for lunch? I do all of those kinds of things. And and then, you know, sort of in that six month period, most people have got their feet under them and things are progressing forward really well. Every one of those things that you talked about is an example of emotional intelligence in action, right? Some of the most emotionally intelligent people I know are people in your position, people in professional development, talent management, learning and development. I always encourage associates, particularly with whom we work, get to know the PD people, the talent people in your firm, because these are the most emotionally intelligent. They really do care and they have great advice. Take advantage. Well, and it's fascinating to me because sometimes associates will come to talk to me and they'll be like, oh, look, I'm really sorry, but, you know, I wanted to talk to you about this or that, or, you know, I'm interested in doing this kind of work. And they they come sort of cap in hand and I'm like, that's my job. (laughs) Please don't ever apologize. Like, just drop it. Right. You know, that's why I'm here. And that's why, you know, as we look at hybrid work and as we look at most firms, I mean, certainly at least most of the bigger firms in our Canadian market are supporting some type of hybrid work or some type of of flexible work arrangement. I think it's really on uh, the talent people to just make Mm -hmm, sure mm -hmm. that we are checking in with everyone and that people who are working remotely or people who have primarily virtual schedules aren't being left behind because there already is a bit of that reluctance for whatever reason to feel like they're imposing on our time, even though I keep reminding them that it's a core part of my job. So there is definitely, again, circling back to what firms can do. There's an on us to make sure that everybody in the firm's got that Mm-hmm. equality of experience, that yeah. equity of experience, regardless of what their work modality looks like. That's fantastic. And associates, how can they help themselves in this process? I think the biggest thing is I encourage all of the associates that I work with is to work on their self-awareness and their self-management. I mean, those are the two buckets of emotional intelligence that belong 100% to you, right? And so you can't control what other people do or say or how they're going to respond. But if you can be self-aware and if you work on your self-management tactics it's hugely important and it's not just for them to succeed as lawyers but also to their own mental health the best thing to do is when you're not in the midst of an agitating experience is to take some time to come up with some strategies do some emotional what if planning and think to yourself okay if, if this happens what am i going to do so if i'm presenting something and someone responds negatively How am I going to react? What strategies can I use to keep the dialogue positive? Can I be curious? Can I say, oh, that's an interesting point. Can you tell me more? Just having some strategies in your back pocket, taking a breath, reminding yourself to be empathetic. The big thing I always tell associates, and I always do a little bit of a presentation before we go into performance management, is I tell them, listen for substance. Don't listen for tone. Don't get overly focused on the language. You may be dealing with people who are not as artful at doing performance evaluations as one might expect. Take a deep breath. Think about it. Turn it over in your head. Sometimes it makes sense to ruminate a bit and then come back and ask more questions. Just don't get engaged in that sort of tit for tat in the moment because you won't learn. And then there's a very good chance that the whole conversation will go sideways, right? Right, right. That's, those are fantastic pieces of advice. I love the what if planning, thinking about the things that could happen. Okay. How will I react? Right. What will I say? Kind of playing it out is just, I I don't know why I don't do that. So thank you. I need to be doing that. 
Well, and the interesting thing is, you know, we're talking about it today in, in the context of sort of integration and career development and professional development in a, a broader sense. But, you know, when I talk to lawyers about developing this skill set, it applies to everything. So, for example, when I used to practice law, I was a litigation attorney. That's what I did. And so when I started out as a junior and I would go and do in Canada, we call them questioning in the U.S. of depositions. Right. So. I started as a junior and I had a list of questions and I would go ask my questions and I'd work my way through my questions. And I didn't really listen to what people were saying because it would be like, I got a list of questions I'm going to work through. Right. (laughs) But then as I progressed and I have a sort of conversational style that makes it relatively easy for people to connect with me. So when I was doing these questionings and somebody would say something that was interesting, I'd be like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. And their lawyer would be like, oh, no, no. And, I, and they would just keep talking and you get gold. You get gold. That's great. It's that tiny shift of being curious, of actively listening. It was, it was mm-hmm. huge. The information I got out of people just by listening to them was amazing. Better than I would have got out of going through my list of questions. And the same thing for transactional lawyers. I mean, if you're in a closing and you've got a client and you sense that the temperature in the room is getting worked up, you know, you can kind of take a pause and say, okay, well, we're going to take a break. And you take your client aside and say, Hey, what's wrong? What's going on here? And they're, Oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. Great. Right. You know, and you just get things back on track that way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Emotional intelligence is important to your progression as a lawyer for sure, but it's also important to that skill set that you need to actually succeed as a lawyer in this current climate. Absolutely. That, couldn't be better said. I love those tips. It's so very true. And I see that when we're interviewing different candidates, that a little bit more connection to the person with whom you're interviewing to the situation and not just getting through a process or a list you've got in your head, but being present. I'm loving this. I'm going to do the what if planning and ask me about it in a couple months. See if I stick with it, please, coach. Lastly, I'll end with what can recruitment teams in firms like ours, what can we do to help as people lateral to new firms? What can we do to kind of make sure that we're helping in that process and contributing to it? I think the single most important thing is getting to know the firms that you're working with and then matching the personalities of those firms with candidates that have that same sort of approach. So if you look at a firm and it's full of like, bookish nerds who love the law and no disrespect, I'm 100% a nerd. You send candidates who have that same sort of interest, you get really passionate, excited about the law. So, you know, foundationally, you've got a good match there. If you're working with a firm and the client base is mostly innovators and entrepreneurs, you're not going to send them that first candidate we talked about. You're going to send them the ones Mm -hmm. that are more flexible thinkers and who are prepared to creatively problem solve, who can work at that same sort of pace, the same sort of approach as an entrepreneur might. The candidates you're working with, again, there's that baseline. I mean, they're going to be smart. They're going to be good at what they do. They're going to know the law, all of those important things. So it really then comes to the point of having a good match. And I do tell candidates too, like when I'm working in the recruitment sphere of things, I say to them that the match is just as important for them as it is for us. I mean, of course, for firms, we're looking where's the match. But I also tell candidates, like, if you look at us, I mean, I think we're great. But if you look at us, and you're like, "Mm, that doesn't align with what I'm looking for. That's great. There's like 20 other firms out there, find the one that's the best one for you. Absolutely. We say the same thing. Fantastic. Suzanne, can't thank you enough. Love hearing your perspective. You've taught me a bunch about EQ. It's a topic I love. You've really distilled it down for me in ways that I think I can 
take and use this week. Absolutely. I hope our listeners feel the same way. We have amazing guests. I'm really excited. So thank you. Really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.